Well, as always, church, um, it's good to be with you. Uh, before we get started, uh, my name's Tyler David. I'm the campus pastor here. I wanted to just talk to you quickly about, um, obviously, with the flooding that's happened here recently, uh, we want you guys to know that we as a church are, um, want to care for those. There's people in our church who have been affected, lost everything. Um, maybe some of you, that's at you, and we don't know about it. We'd love to know about it. Once so we can pray for you, but two, because we're coordinating efforts to care for those whose lives have been turned upside down by the flooding. And so um, go to the website behind me. That you get more information about that. We'd love to hear from you or come talk to someone after the service. We know how we can care for you in this process. And if you're here and you want to serve, you want to get involved, want to be about caring for our city in, this, in areas where there's been, honestly, disasters for people, um, you can go there as well or talk to Tyson at the end of the service. Um, well, if you've been around uh, for, haven't been around for a couple of weeks, we're actually in the middle of a sermon series right now about spiritual warfare. Uh, we've been in, in Ephesians for a long time. In Ephesians 6, we get the text about spiritual warfare. We've been going through it um, kind of phrase by phrase, ar- armor by armor um, in the text. But today we're taking a break from that. Today we're taking a break to talk about um, the topic of church membership or the vernacular. We would use the Austin Stone church partnership, and I'll get into that distinction in a little bit. But we're going to talk about this um, primarily because we're entering into a very special season for us as a church. So if you're new or visiting and you're entering into a time where um, every summer, every couple months during the summer, what we do, we have all of our partners, our members, go through the process called annual partnership renewal. Annual partnership renewal. And the whole point of this process is for our partners to sit down, go through this form, go through this process, and begin to reflect on what God has done in your life. We are a people who rarely just sit down and make ourselves remember what has God done over the last year. And you begin to remember and realize, I forgot all about the ways he showed up for me last November. I've already forgotten about last March and how he did this or that. We want our partners to go through this every year to look back and see what God has done. And then look forward and say, hey, what does God want you to grow in? Where are you still weak? Where are you still struggling? It's an opportunity to share stories of what God's done. I mean... There are stories that are happening in this church, in this people that I know nothing about and I'd love to know. Stories from like small ones to that you're like, man, this is the first year I've ever like been in the Bible consistently and read it and prayed. To large stories of, I got diagnosed with cancer this year and I saw God show up and care for me in the process. I had a, a relationship that was torn and I saw God begin to mend that relationship. I got to lead somebody to know Jesus for the first time. I want to know those stories. And the goal of this renewal process is for all of our partners at the end of that to look back and say, what has God done? What does God want to do? And then to ask the question, is God calling me to partner with this church again? We don't ever, and I don't ever want us to be a church where people just kind of haphazardly exist here. Where you kind of just happen to be a partner and you happen to go to this church and you happen to be a part of what's going on with the Austin Stone. Well, we want people to have a conscious, intentional design and say, no, I purposely and want to be in this church. I want to be in the fight with this church. That's what we want. We, we don't want you just casually attending. We want you all in. So for partners every year, it's asking the question, is God calling you to partner with us again? And so we're going to give you more details about that at the end of the service. Tyson will tell you all about that. But I want you to know that's why we're talking about church membership, church partnership. Here's what I want to show you today. I want to show you the importance and the necessity of a local church. The importance and the necessity of a local church. That if you want to follow Jesus in all the way he calls you to, in all the ways he commands you, in all the ways he desires for you to follow him, 
You need a local church. You need one. You need a people you belong to. If you want to express faith in all the fullness you're supposed to, and you want to benefit from all that Christ has given to his people, you have to be a part of a local church because God has never meant for you as an individual to simply define everything for yourself. He has always meant for you as individuals with unique desires, unique dreams, unique stories, all the different things that make you an individual, that make you you. Those things are good, but he's never wanted you to be the only thing you think about. He's always wanted you to be this person who you find your meaning and purpose and identity as part of a larger community, as part of a larger whole. I mean, you can see this just in humanity, not even Christians, like whether you're a Christian or not, to be fully human is to belong to other people. Like to be fully human is to belong to other people, whether you're a Christian or not. I mean, think about the, uh, the life cycle of a human being. You are made by other people. You live in, before you're born in another person. When you are born, you need other people to care for you. You can't find a creature on this planet, you'd be hard pressed to find, a creature who is more helpless for a longer period of time than a human child. You need people to help you survive. And then even more than that, when you get older, even as a grown person, you have your own job, you have your own money, your own house, you still need other people for commerce and trade and your job and your house and your clothes. I mean, we are utterly dependent on other people. To be human is to belong to other people. That's just physical. Not to mention the deep things of what it means to be a human. Like, human beings who do not have relationships of love with other people are miserable people. You've been there. Seasons where you haven't felt like you're known by someone or you know someone intimately, you feel miserable because you are made to belong in a relationship of love to other people. It's hardwired into you. That's why loneliness is one of the most paralyzing feelings you can have because you're so hardwired for relationships. If our society and our culture is a testimony to anything, it's that no matter how much stuff you have, how much money you have, how much entertainment you consume, you cannot get rid of loneliness. You can have all the stuff and the money in the world, and as soon as that stuff's done, if you don't have relationships of love, all of a sudden that loneliness, that isolation comes crashing over you again. It's hardwired into humanity to belong to other people. To be fully human is to belong to another. You've read this verse before if you've been in the church for any period of time. But Genesis 2.18, the creation account, it's clear that God did this on purpose. Then the Lord God said when he made Adam, he said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. He's talking about marriage there, but he's, the principle is you are made to belong to other people, to be fully human, to belong to others. And the reason relationships are so difficult, the reason any relationship to sustain for a long period of time, whether it's a sibling relationship or romantic relationship in marriage or whether it's a friendship, the reason relationships have a hard time sustaining for long periods of time is not because they're not necessary, not because they're not needed. It's because we have sin. The reason they're so hard is because you long for them so much that you have sin that keeps you from doing the things that you should. And so when you and I rebelled against God and we lost him, we lost everything else. So all the good things he gave to us, like relationships, get difficult and get hard and become strife-oriented and become me-oriented. 
So when God is thinking and planning salvation for people, he's thinking about creating a new community of people. God's thinking about saving individuals so that you can belong to a new people. A major part of salvation is God saving you from being just simply an individual. It's one of the major things the gospel does. When God sent Christ, he sent him to give you a new relationship with God, sure, absolutely, 100%. But he also sent him to give you a new relationship with his people. A new relationship with his people. See, once again, to be fully human is to belong to other people. And what God is doing through Christ is restoring to you your humanity. See, you're human. You're made to belong to people, but sin gets in the way and it brings chasms to relationships. And what God is doing in Christ is restoring humanity and making it possible for forgiveness, making it possible for reconciliation, making it possible to have love again. God is restoring our relationships and he does it by making you a part of his eternal people. Like you are now a part of his eternal people. You are never meant to be alone, ranger, disconnected, just reading your Bible by yourself. You're meant to be a person who belongs to a people that so long as you are connected to Christ, you're connected to every single person in this room who's in Christ. That so long as you are connected and one and unified with Christ, you are now connected to all of his people. There's a beautiful picture in Ephesians 2 where Paul talks about how this people relates to one another. I'm going to read it to you really quickly. Ephesians 2, 19, listen to the imagery in this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. From every tribe, tongue, nation, time, God's building a people. And he's building this people, the imagery is saying he's building this people that you have a citizenship in common that transcends any nationality and any patriotism. He's saying you have this members of the same household, of the same blood, of the same father, your brothers and sisters now that transcends everyone you grew up with. Every family you could grow up with, there's this family in Christ you're part of that transcends all of those. That it says that every single Christian is this stone, this precious stone put into this larger temple that God is growing and building for what? What was the temple of God used for? God's presence was there. His spirit would dwell there. And all of us are playing these little parts and is building this huge, massive temple that's built on Christ, built on the apostles, built on the word of God. And we belong to each other on the cornerstone of Christ. And what's incredible is that all of history, all of it, everything happening is working to a place where one day all saints for all time will be in one place together. For the first time ever, all saints for all time will be gathered in the same place with God forever. This is the vision John has in Revelation 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, 
and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. There is a day coming when all the people of God from all time will be resurrected. And the earth itself and all of creation will be resurrected. And all of our resurrection will look like the resurrection of Christ. That's why if you read the New Testament sometimes, it'll call Jesus the first fruits. Because what Jesus is, his resurrection is for the universe to see, is that Jesus is a picture of how God's going to make all things new one day. He's the prequel for what's coming for everything. And on that day, you will be with the saints of all time forever and getting to know God and them forever. That's where everything is going. That day is going to happen. I mean, I think about it a lot, but you, if you're in Christ, are going to get it from the dead one day. And you're going to meet brothers and sisters you didn't know you had who got saved in the Middle Ages got saved right when Christ was resurrected. You're gonna meet them and get to know them. That's gonna be your destiny. And so because that's the future coming for the people of God, because there's a universal church, that's why local churches exist. That's why local churches are so important. Local churches exist. The purpose of the local church is to be little expressions and little pictures and little previews of this universal church that God is bringing about. The reason we have local churches, the reason we have this, is not for tradition's sake. Because there's coming a day when the universal church will be gathered together and what we get to do is the saints get to experience a little taste of what the new heavens and new earth will be like and the city gets to see, oh, that's what God is up to. He's saving people from every different status, every race, Every neighborhood, he's saving all these kind of people. He's bringing them together in this hodgepodge group of people. He's saying, I'm up to something to show the city, to show the world. This God is building a people for himself. Local churches exist precisely because the universal church is coming very soon. Christians belong to local churches precisely because you belong to the universal church. That's why you belong to a local church anywhere, wherever you are, because you belong to the universal church. See, this is the narrative found throughout the entire New Testament. What you see is this gospel of Jesus Christ saving people, much like it has done for many of us. It saves people to kind of talk to you, hey, I know Jesus, do you know Jesus? We know Jesus together, okay, now what do we do? And what you see the apostles doing what you see God wanting for his people is he does, you don't see the, around the Mediterranean world, you don't see them building this superstructure of a church. You don't see them saying, okay, we're going to have one massive structure of the church, and we're all going to be kind of unified together in that way. No, what the apostles do is they start making these local, distinct congregations with distinct leadership and distinct people there. It's really fascinating that though every Christian belongs to the universal Big C Church, It's not enough for the apostles to just have people belong to this amorphous community. Like you see in the Bible really clearly, God doesn't want his people just to belong to people generally. I belong to the church, I'm a Christian, I'm in the church generally. I serve people when I get around them. I'm not not attached to any congregation, but I'm just around people generally. 
And what you see the apostles doing and God wanting through their leadership is no, he wants people to belong to a particular community in a particular place with particular leaders, with particular mission and particular things they're doing in that area. God wants his people to belong to one another. And the way they form these communities is by installing local leaders. So I want to give you a brief education on what the scriptures talk about with the local church precisely because I want you to know why we do this. Maybe you've never thought about why do local churches even exist. It's not for tradition's sake. It's because this is how God wants his people to be organized. He wants his people to exist in these local communities. Let me give you two examples. Hang with me. Two examples. First one's in Acts 14. Barnabas and Paul are on a missionary journey, a journey traveling around the Mediterranean, sharing the gospel of people. They go to three cities, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They come to these cities, preach the gospel, people get saved, and they go, okay, you're saved. We'll be back in a little bit. They're like, well, what do we do? Stay there, we'll be back. Okay. So they go on, on their way, preach the gospel to some more different cities, and they come back to those same three cities where people got saved, and they, they do three things. Encourage them instruct them, and they install elders over them. Look at Acts 14, 21. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. These people come to Christ, you're kind of talking to each other about them all loving Jesus together. Paul sees that, fantastic, installs elders, then he leaves. That's his pattern. In Paul's mind, what's fascinating to me, in Paul's mind, as long as there is a people there with elders over them, they're good, I can move on. Now, there are more structures the churches create, but for him, that's the bare minimum what's needed. You see, the same thing happens, the second example is in Titus. The island of Crete, same thing. Paul preaches, people get saved. Here's what he does. He leaves Titus. He says, Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul says, Titus, there's some people who got saved there. I love them. I gotta go though. So here's what you need to do. Find these men who are, meet the biblical qualifications you install them in every town, elders over that people, and they'll be good. They're saved. They got the spirit. I write them some letters. They got some elders. They're good. You see, this fascinating thing to me is that God wants his people to express their obedience and love for Christ in local communities. Hear that really clearly. If you're in Christ, he wants you to express your obedience, your love, primarily in a place where you belong to a local church. So Jesus says, love one another, okay? Pretty simple, simple command. Love one another, church. Now, he definitely means all Christians. He means if you meet a brother or sister from a different country, somewhere else, you should think about this, my brother, my sister, I want to love them. But he especially means the people who are sitting next to you today. He especially means the people you see every week. Because I can tell you this, it's much easier to go somewhere and love somebody for a week, for an instant, to put your spiritual hat on and really be a Christian. 
It's much harder to come back and be around the same people consistently who know your weaknesses, know your insecurities, know what you're like, and keep loving them. He especially means loving people in a local context. And it's in a local context where you get to experience all the benefits of the church. Like, you don't get encouraged generally from Christians all over the world. You get encouraged in your faith from the people in this room. You don't take the Lord's Supper and communion generally all over the world. You take it with the people in this room. You get trained for mission with the people in this room. You get, you get challenged in your sin by the people in this room. All the things God has in mind for his people don't happen just generally. They happen specifically in a context where people around you can actually do that. And here's what happens when you remove yourself from the local church. When you remove yourself from the local church, you are setting yourself up to be at best spiritually apathetic and to be at worst in serious spiritual danger. Hear me really clearly. If you remove yourself from the relationships of a local church and the leadership of a local church, I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up for over a long period of time to be spiritually apathetic or to have serious spiritual failure. See, local churches, we tend to kind of think, no, no, it's too demanding. They want me to do too much stuff. And I want to have a a schedule that's more flexible. And I want to be able to go do whatever it is I want to do. And that's, I understand that. But you may have a more flexible schedule, but I'm telling you, if you're not a part of a local church, you will not have a more content heart. You will not have a more passionate relationship with Jesus. It will slowly, over time, begin to flounder. That's a common thread that happens to people. They get outside of a local church and they begin to flounder. There's a couple of reasons why. One really obvious reason, we're in the middle of a series on spiritual warfare. When you go outside the local church, you are opening yourself up to be vulnerable to satanic attack. It's a fascinating passage, I won't go there in 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says that there's this person in unrepentant sin, they won't, they won't own up to their sin and call it evil, they're continuing in it, and they're saying they're a Christian. And it, what Paul says is, take that person and remove them from the relationships of the church. Remove them from the leadership of that church. And he says, when you do that, Satan will, get, will go after him. And what's fascinating about that is what Paul is saying is that there is some spiritual protection within local churches. There's spiritual protection here that when you leave, you're saying, come and get me. And in a lot of ways, you won't have all the defenses that God's given to you in the church. That's one really obvious way, but I think the even bigger reason that I don't think we talk about a lot, I've never really thought about it until the last couple of months, is that when you remove yourself from the local church, you are forcing yourself to be everything. When you remove yourself from the local church and the relationships and the leadership and the gatherings of that church, you are forcing yourself to be everything. You are forcing yourself to play every role, carry all the weight, and have all the gifts. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Uh, I met with a, a leader in our church a couple months ago. And he's, he was lead, leading a missional, he's not on staff, he's leading a missional community, leading a service team, and we're just, I just want to get to know him. So we're talking lunch, and, and his, his story was um, very similar to a lot of people's story, kind of what I described. Kind of grew up in and around the church, kind of loved Jesus, but then he left the church for a lot of different reasons, and usually when people leave the church for a lot of different reasons, there's some good, understandable, valid things in there, and then there's some silliness and some pride and arrogance in there that kind of all mixed together. And he left. 
He left, and what did he see? His fervency, his zeal for Jesus began to slowly decrease. Jesus' importance in his decision-making and how he thought about his life and where he lived and what his schedule looked like and what he read and what he watched and who he hung out with and his purpose, Jesus became less and less important in those things. And what happened is God brought him back. He did a lot of cool things in his life, came part of the stone, started growing a lot. And then he said this really profound, insightful thing. And as soon as he said it, I told him, I said, bro, I'm stealing that and preaching that for sure, okay? We're a community, right? We just together write the sermon, okay? If we get lunch, you know what I'm doing. I'm mining for material. Um, But he said something that was so profound. I was like, he said it, and I was like, I've never heard anyone say that. He looked at me. He said, Tyler, when I was out of the local church, it was too much pressure and too much weight. And I thought it was fascinating. Too much pressure, too much weight to be outside the local church? Because in my mind, I I hear people talk, being in the church, there's too many expectations, it's too restrictive or whatever, it feels too much pressure. He said the opposite. I said, explain to me what you mean by that. And he told me, he said, Tyler, when I wasn't part of a local church, I'm I'm not saying the Austin Stone, I'm saying just a local church. He said, I had to be everything. He's like, he said, so I had to give myself fresh vision and direction and leadership. I had to train myself on what books I should read. I had to make sure that I had songs to sing. I had to make sure that I was knowing how to interpret where I was going through. I had to be my counselor. I had to be the one who rebuked me. He's like, I had to be everything. And so eventually what happened, it was too much because God has given all the gifts to his church, but not every person has all the gifts. God has given wisdom to his church, but not every person has all the wisdom. God has given love to his people that we should share with one another and encourage one another. You see, when you try to play every role, you're not gifted for it. You find yourself puttering out because you're outside of the church. God designed those things to be given to a people, not to a person. There's a lot of you in this room. It's a large church. There's a lot of you in this room who show up and you're wondering, why is my spiritual life hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. You wanna know why that is? Because typically, the things that you feel most in love with Jesus when you do them are the things you're probably gifted at. But then you get into areas of weakness where God hasn't gifted you, God hasn't given you insight or wisdom or the things you need, and so you're not involved in the church, and so you don't know how to follow Jesus in those areas, and you begin to flounder in those areas, and so you're really good when you do the things you love, but not so much when you do the things that you're not as good at. See, there are people in this church who have a gift of wisdom, and they're great counselors, and you're explaining to them how you're doing, and they say, hey, does this describe how you feel? And you're like, how are you in my head right now? And get out. (laughs) There are people in our church who are incredibly gifted with mercy, and they empathize with you in ways that no one else can. There's people in the church that's a gift of service where they know how to meet needs and they do it in such a way where you just feel incredibly loved by them. There's people in the church that have the gift of leadership and they can just see clearly where we need to go and you're like, I didn't see that, but that's where we need to go. Teaching, faith, generosity. I go on and on about the gifts God has given to this church and all of us don't have little, little gifts that we have, but none of us have all of them. And that's why when you get outside the local church, you're saying, I have to bear the entire weight a church is supposed to share together. 
So you begin to flounder, you begin to putter out. And that's why all of you, whether it's the Austin Stone or not, I don't care. But you need to belong, go all in somewhere. Some local context, some local church that preach the Bible, love Jesus, go all in there. Because that's how you're going to grow. You need that people to help you. And that's why we have partnership with the Austin Stone. That's why we have it. Because partnership with the Stone is people saying, okay, we all agree. No one compares to Jesus. No one's even close. So let's lock arms together and follow him together. See, partnership with the Stone is this. It's formally committing yourself to special accountability to following Christ and advancing his gospel alongside of this church and under these elders. Partnership is formally committing to special accountability to following Jesus and advancing his gospel alongside of this church and under these elders. So what I want to do really briefly, the rest of our time together, is unpack for you that statement and what partnership is at the stone. First, partnership is special accountability to following Christ. Special accountability. See, some churches use the term member, and that's totally fine. We don't think that's a bad thing or a negative thing. It's totally cool. But we use the term partner because we think partner carries with it a a specific connotation that we really want to define our church, whereas member carries with it another connotation that we don't want to define us as a people. Here's the distinction. Membership, in most areas of your life, tends to carry with it the connotation of special privilege. So when you think about becoming a member of anything, what's the question you ask? What's in this for me? What's in this for me? Okay, if I'm become a member, what do I get in return? What do I get? I mean, think about if you're becoming a member of Costco, and you're thinking, do I want to buy my cheese in bulk? Yes. Cheese. Like, like, that's why you would do it. Or whatever you would like to buy in bulk, okay? Massive things of, like, whatever it is, you're saying, okay, I want to be a member. Why? So I get special privileges. And often we think about church Church becomes the place where we want to become a member so I can get and consume my religious goods and services. I'm going to become a member because I get special things, right? I get special, I get to receive more and more, and then you find out, whoa, whoa, so being a part of the stone doesn't get me any special stuff? And I can still be part of this church and be here? Then why be a partner? That means you're thinking like a consumer, you're thinking like a consumer, how, what's in it for me? Here's how partners think. The partnership question is, is this the people God's calling me to serve with? Is this the people God's calling me to pray with? Is this the people God's calling me to go on mission with? Partners are saying, is this the people I'm going to come alongside and go on mission with? That's what partnership is. It's, it's special accountability, and it's accountability following Jesus. Can I tell you, our partner, our, the commitments we ask partners to take are nothing more than following Christ. We're not adding things to the word of God and saying, okay, it's this, but if you do this, then the Austin Stone will really like you. No, we don't want to hold you to anything that Jesus doesn't say. Partnership is saying, I want to be held accountable to nothing more than following Christ, but also nothing less than following Christ. So even the areas when you're like, well, I don't want to follow him that way. Well, no, but he defines what it means to follow him, and this is what he says. So it's special accountability of following Jesus. And so if you love Jesus, that makes all the sense in the world. But if, if you don't really know him or have affection for him, then why would I want someone to keep me accountable to following him? That's why to be a partner, you believe this gospel first and foremost. So you follow Christ and you advance his gospel. At the stone, 
we're always going to have a disposition and an orientation that's outwardly focused. Always. Always. We're always going to be thinking, how can we bless this city? How can we be a people who are sent out in the city, or sent out to the nations? We're going to be thinking about, okay, how can we use our resources to care for the poor and the oppressed, the orphan and the widow in this city? How can we be a people who reach our neighbors in this city? How can we be a people who reach the nations through this church? We're always going to have that disposition because we know what Jesus said. Jesus left the church and he said, you guys stay here, have worship services forever, I'll be back in a couple thousand years. It's not what he said. I know it may be hard to believe, but worship in heaven will be better than the Austin Stone. Roger knows. Now, I don't know if they'll have tattoos or anything, but it will be better. It'll be better. I mean, Jesus has a tattoo on his leg, but other than that, there'll be one tattoo, okay? Um, Worship's gonna be better in heaven. So Jesus says, I'm leaving, so you guys gather together and you worship and you use that as fuel for you taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you to go on mission. And so for us as a partnership, we're gonna say, let's follow Christ together, let's gather together, let's worship together, but let's be a people who go outside of these walls to the gospel forward. Can I tell you, partners are are people saying, I wanna play my part in this story. That's what partners are saying. Do you know what makes the Austin Stone special and unique other than Jesus being with us? It's not preaching, it's not worship, it's that we have people in this church who genuinely believe we're in this together. Like if you're thinking partnership, I'm here so you can do the work for me, you're like, you're not gonna understand our church. We want to be a people where partners have stories to tell. Can I tell you, one of my my personal ambitions in my life is when I'm older, however many years God gives me, I wanna look back and say, I still love Jesus, I love my wife, I love my kids, and I have stories to tell. That's what I want. Because stories mean I saw something, I saw God move. Like I, 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 when we get to the universal church and we're at, at the table, I don't know if it'll be one long table or many tables or how that's gonna work out, but we'll be at a table, the supper of the lamb, I want you to have stories to tell. I don't want you to meet some brother or sister who, who got saved in China 80 years ago, and you're talking to them at the banquet table and you're having a conversation, and they say, what did God do in your generation? I don't want you saying, man, he used Matt Carter in some mighty ways. I don't want you saying, man, he used Tyler in these ways. I want you saying, here's what God did in and through me. And the best part about heaven, you'll be able to look back and see God moving in all the ways you couldn't see him now. She'll have way more stories to tell. That's what we want. But can I tell you, those epic, great stories you tell, the best stories that you've ever heard about someone trusting God and doing something and God showing up in power, those stories never went like this. There was a person who knew the promises of God and they did everything that came natural and easy to them in the end. You're like, that's boring, right? It's never how they happen. But you and I want that and the stories. You can't have both. You can't do everything that comes natural, everything that comes easy, and expect to have God show up in powerful ways. No, the great stories of faith go something like this. I knew the promises of God. I knew what he had done for me. 
I knew what he called me to, and I was terrified. And I was weak. But I went and I loved that person who was awkward for me and challenging for me. And I went to that place that felt foreign to me. And it was, for me, it was next door. For them, it was across the ocean. But we went to this place, and I didn't know how to talk to them, but I showed up anyway. It's going to be, there was a mess, there was a need, and I found myself entering into it, and I found God, through my weakness, showing up in power. And partners are saying, please give me a push to that. Partners are saying, hey, I know me. I'm going to tend towards boring and doing everything that's easy. Give me a little push. Help me take some risk. Train me up on how to do that. That's what partners are saying. And that's what makes the Austin Stone unique is we have people who say, I want my story. I want God to use me. And we'll only be a unique church so long as that exists in us as a people. So we follow Jesus. We advance his gospel. And lastly, alongside this church under the care of these elders. If you're going to be a part of this church, you've got to know people. Like, you're not going to know every person in this room. Often the refrain for our campus is, it's too big. Can't get to know anybody. But there's no church, unless it's a church of 12 or 15, you get to know everybody the same. You know, there's going to be a select few people, 10 to 20 people, who you'll know really, really well. And that's why we, as partners, one of our commitments is to be in a missional community, a gathering of people, 10 to 25, some 35 people, of families, singles, all sorts of people. That's the primary way we gather outside of Sundays. I don't know if you know this, but church structure-wise, we primarily gather on Sundays together as a church. We gather throughout the city in missional communities. And missional communities look different to every pocket of people, different rhythms, different expectations. There's difference to every missional community. But the point is, it's in those missional communities where you'll get to be known deeply. See, you probably wouldn't confess sin to someone who you just met today. Maybe you will. It'd be weird, but maybe you will. You should have, but we want you to have people who know you that the expectation is, hey man, how are you doing? And you tell them. There needs to be people who can encourage you. you. You can only be as encouraged as you're known. I can give you specific encouragement if I know you specifically. It's where you're challenged. It's where you read the Bible together. It's where you go on mission together and hang out with people who don't know Jesus together and share the gospel with them together. It's where you talk about your finances together. All the things that God calls you to, it happens mainly in those smaller networks of relationship. And the thing of our missional communities is everyone is saying, though we look different or all over the city, the common bond is we're devoted to each other, devoted to the word of God, and devoted to being on mission in the city. So alongside this church, and lastly, is under the care of these elders. Um, as one of the elders, myself, of Stone, it's one of the greatest privileges of my life. I mean, I, I, seriously, after Jesus, my wife, my kids, being a pastor and elder here at this church is the greatest privilege and gift God's given me. Absolutely. I, can, I know it's true for every elder of this church. We all feel the same way. It's one of the greatest privileges we have. I can't believe you listen to me teach you the Bible. I really can't. I can't believe that people with our elders would share such sensitive information. And we take that very seriously. And I want you to know, partners receive a unique care from our elders. And here's what I mean. When I'm talking to someone who I know is a partner, there's a different dynamic there. Why? Because I know they want me to be their pastor. 
Like the elders know, okay, if this is a partner, they have said they want me to play this role in their life. So if you're not a partner, it doesn't mean we won't care for you or talk to you or anything like that. It just means I don't know the dynamic we have. Do you care about what I think at all? Do you want me to instruct you on what the word of God says? Do you, do you want, I don't know. But partners are saying, no, I want these men who God has called and qualified to serve and shepherd this church. I want them to play that role in my life. And here's where it really, really, where the rubber meets the road. Because we have a large church and our elders probably won't get to know everyone as best friends, but here's where the rubber meets the road. It's when, God forbid, it's when one of our partners is deceived in sin. It's when one of our partners is deceived by sin. See, our elders, especially when one of our partners is walking in a way that's contrary to the Bible, contrary to what God has said, and their community has brought it to them, and they still won't repent, and people have told them it's wrong, they still won't repent, and then what partners are saying is, if I get in that place, please come talk to me. Partners are saying, I know myself. I've been deceived before, and I'm not saying it won't happen again. So if it does, will you please bring the gospel to me and the word of God to me and call me out of sin? Because sin's not going to lead me to Jesus, and he's what I want. Can I tell you, I'm a partner of the Austin Stone. And if I lose my dang mind, start saying crazy stuff and doing stuff contrary to the Bible, I want the elders of this church to call me out. Why? Because I want Christ. There's no one like him. And if I'm in sin, that's not taking me to him. And I want them to lovingly call me out of that. Partners are saying, I know myself. I want to be held accountable if those times come. Myself, the other elders, are going to give an account for how well we care for our partners. Like I'm, I'm going to talk to Jesus. Me and the other elders are going to talk to Jesus one day. I'm sure there'll be a long line of all the elders got to talk to Jesus about stuff. It's kind of waiting like, here we go. Um, he's going to get me and the other 24 guys who are elders and say, how'd y'all do? Did you teach them the Bible even when it was hard? Did you care for them, make sure they had leaders and systems and structures for them? Did, did you keep watch over their souls? Were you praying for them when no one else knew? We're going to have to give an account. And that's what partners are saying is, you guys are the leaders I want to follow, and you're going to give an account for me. That's why we take it so serious is our partners in particular who've said they want this care, I'm going to talk to Jesus about one day. This is what Hebrews 13 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I love this church. I love this church. And I want you to love this church. I want you to commit to this church. I want you to be a part of what God is doing here. But I want to be really upfront with you. If you want to become a partner and you're, or you are a partner, you know this. Church can be messy. It can be really messy. Now, it's not messy all the time. When people try to present the church as always messy, that's an exaggeration. But it can be messy. You want to know why it's messy? Because you are. Because I am. Because we're still, even though we're in Christ, still way too insecure and way too sensitive about stuff. But even though we're in Christ, we're still way, way selfish and we only think about ourselves, not anyone else. But what makes this church special and why you want to partner with this church is because Jesus is with us. He's with us. That's what makes this special. He's here. 
And when you are a partner, you're saying, looking at this church, and you're saying, these are people who Jesus died for. That isn't just an elder. That's someone Jesus died for. They're not just a deacon or an MC leader or a a married couple or a single or a family or a child. That's someone Jesus saw in his mind as he's being crucified for them. And partners are saying, I want to be a part of this people for this time, for this mission. That's what we're saying. And Jesus calls this people you're a part of, he calls it his bride. He says, I'm the head of this body. And can I tell you, no one knows the sins, the weaknesses, and the shortcomings better than Jesus. He's the most offended party in this church. Yet what does his cross do for us? It makes it, listen, where he's not ashamed to be in this church. Not ashamed to be head over this church. Not ashamed to call this church his bride. So here's the question. If Jesus himself is that committed that devoted to this people, how much more so should we be? If that's how Jesus feels about this church, if he can say, my bride, my body, then how could I ever be ashamed of what he loves? How could I ever roll on what he loves? How could I not say, no, Jesus, if you're all in on this church, then I'm all in on this church. Let's pray together. take a moment just reflect and ask God to give you love for his people whatever local church it may be just in this moment would you ask God to produce in you a love and forgiveness and kindness and patience for your brothers and your sisters maybe there's someone who comes to mind who you struggle to love would you pray for them right now you pray for that God would show his face to them, be kind to them. Father, we want to be a people who display what you're like. God, we want to be a church who shows Austin what you're like. And Jesus, you said that by this, by the way you love one another, the, the world will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. God, the only way we'll ever love your people in any form or fashion the way you love your people is if you remind us that we're loved, we're forgiven, we're cherished, we're yours. And that when we come and eat at your table, we're reminded of all that we've received from you, Christ, how you give everything for this people then it makes all the sense in the world to commit and go all in with the gathering of your saints. God, I want this to happen so that more people could see what you're doing, Father, that you're taking people from every tribe and tongue and nation and race and status and class and you're bringing them together and you're saying, this is my people with whom I'm well pleased because Christ has died for them. I want the city to know that they don't have to walk in guilt and shame anymore. They can walk in freedom in Christ. But God, that's going to happen if you make us a people who actually love each other. And God, for that to happen, we have to experience your love first. So Father, I ask that this time would be one that's refreshing, 
that this would be a season of renewal and this would be a season where we say, God, I want to go all in to what you love. And God, you love the church so much you gave Jesus for her. So God, we ask these things and we hope these things in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen.